Well, good morning again. If you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Philemon, it's near the end of the New Testament, between uh, Titus and Hebrews, if that's helpful. Um, we're we're going to today do our second week in our three-week series of, of uh, Philemon, the book of Philemon. And as we, we saw a lot last week, this book really is talking about this biblical doctrine of forgiveness. And it's, it's not so much a theological book as it is a play being, uh, you know, worked out before our eyes as we read it. A play of, of seeing these characters, Philemon, the, the slave master, Onesimus, the slave that ran away but then gets saved uh, and, and is now returning to his master Philemon for forgiveness. And that's what we're looking at. Last week I mentioned something, you know, because we're talking about forgiveness. I want you to think about, I just, I just so badly want this to sit on you for a moment. Think about how important relationships are in your life. How much of your life has to do with other people. You think of uh, parents and children, husband and wife, friends, co-workers, and even fellow church members. And, and as we saw last week and talked about, those relationships can be built up when they're based on forgiveness and reconciliation, because there's going to be conflict, right? Am I the only one that has conflict occasionally? You know, there's going to be conflict, and they can be built up if there's this forgiveness and reconciliation. But, on the other hand, those relationships will, will be destroyed if there's no forgiveness, if there's no reconciliation. It's just a fact of life. I mean, you may have people that you knew in the past and you, you, you collided, you had a conflict that became a quarrel, that became a falling out, and you don't even know them anymore. That relationship is gone. So it's, it's so important that we understand that this biblical teaching on forgiveness, and that's, that's what we're looking at. So last week, we asked the question, and it kind of goes along with what I was just saying, but we asked the question, why forgiveness? Why would Onesimus, the, the runaway slave who gets saved, bother going all the way back to Colossae to, to uh, ask forgiveness of Philemon. Why would he bother? He was 1,200 miles away. I mean, that, that's a big deal. You know, a lot of us, uh, unforgiveness, whatever, you know, we just move on. Why was this such a big deal to Onesimus? And why was Paul sending Onesimus with this letter to Philemon to help Philemon work through and walk through this forgiveness? What was such a big deal there? Why bother with forgiveness? Well, last week we saw three basic principles about forgiveness, why we want to forgive, why we should be concerned uh, with it, and they were forgiveness, number one, glorifies God. When we have forgiving hearts, we show the supernatural work that has taken place in our hearts. Because forgiveness is not natural. Justice, retribution, you know, those things are natural. Revenge is natural. Forgiveness, at least the way the Bible defines it, is not natural. And so when we show that supernatural work, it glorifies God. Secondly, we saw that forgiveness strengthens the church. Forgiveness strengthens the church. Conflicts are going to happen even within a church, and yet if we will follow God's will, God's desires here, he tells us that he will bless the church that walks in his ways with forgiveness. But on the other hand, if we choose not to forgive, the, his blessing is not with us. His blessing isn't with us, and slowly the church breaks down, and then it falls apart. It's strengthened, though, through forgiveness. That's why we'd want it. And then thirdly, we saw 
forgiveness reveals the heart. And this can be very helpful for us to know where we are at. Because if you think about it, if, if I am not really a Christian, or if I'm even a Christian who has drifted from God, why would I care about forgiveness because it glorifies God? Why would I care about forgiveness because it strengthens the church? Those things aren't my priorities. I'm more worried about my desires, my wants, my supposed needs more than God's glory or the strength of the church. So forgiveness reveals the heart, and it helps us to know where we're at so we can seek God. So why forgiveness? Glorifies God, strengthens the church, and reveals the heart. But this week, now that we know why we even care about forgiveness, uh, that kind of brings up a question in our minds. Well, what is forgiveness? <laughs> what is this thing that, that will make such a big difference? Glorify God, strengthen chur- the church, and reveal my heart. What is it? Now, what forgiveness is may not be what you think it is. It may not be what you think it is, and here's why. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone tells a story. Everyone gives a definition. You, you watch TV, uh, you know, and there's a definition of what forgiveness looks like. Uh, you, you think about um, a, a, a pop psychology, right? These popular psychologists, even supposedly Christian ones, who write their books on what forgiveness is, and, and it all looks different. And so today, we're going to look from God's Word, from the book of Philemon, what is forgiveness. So if you are already there in your Bibles, uh, we're going to read all of Philemon. We'll only really cover verses 8 through 21, I think. Yeah, 8 through 21. But I'm going to read all, all the way through it. Here we go. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and, and Timothy, our brother. Two, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, 
I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras and my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, and my, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's God's word. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time together. Father God, we as humans face conflict all the time while we wait for full and, and final peace in heaven with you. And God, we have conflict in our marriages. God, we have conflict in our work relationships with our, our children, with our friends, and even in our church from time to time. So God, would you be gracious to us today? Would you teach us what forgiveness is? Would you teach us this, this doctrine that if we would obey it, would bring this blessing from you, that would glorify you, strengthen the church, strengthen our family, strengthen uh, our friendships, Lord, and make us effective for you, God. God, would you transform us by your word to do this, this radical thing in human eyes of forgiveness. But God, we can do it because of your strength. Would you teach us how to do it today, what it is, God? Would you do that for your glory and our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what is forgiveness? That, that is the question today. What is this that will glorify God, strengthen the church, and, and reveal our hearts? Well, I'll just get straight to it. Uh, number one, this one may seem simple to you. Forgiveness is a requirement. Forgiveness is a requirement. So forgiveness, what I mean here, is a requirement from God so it's really a non-negotiable thing. We, we don't get to argue or pick or choose whether or not we will forgive as Christians when we are sinned against. Now this really uh, goes against the, the popular cultural notion of today. Let me just uh, give you an example of how uh, the, the world doesn't think this way. You watch, you know, maybe 50% of all action movies have this same plot, okay? You have a good guy and a bad guy. The bad guy does something bad <laughs> to the good guy or maybe one of his family members. And the rest of the movie is the good guy trying to get revenge on the bad guy. And tell me if this isn't true. You're sitting there watching the movie, and the whole time we are hoping that the good guy, supposedly good guy, will, will get it, that he will get that revenge, that, that justice will be poured out right then, right there on that bad guy. Forgiveness is a requirement. The world does not teach that, that it is required of us. But God does teach it. We, we see this principle clearly in verse 8 of Philemon. You see that in your Bibles or in the notes, verse 8. And uh, this is really just a half a clause here. I, I know that, but it, it says an important point. And uh, at this time in the letter, Paul's already affirmed his love and, and his support for the way Philemon is, you know, conducting himself in the fellowship of believers. But now Paul's going to gently lead him to what he needs to do now that Onesimus has come back to him. He needs to forgive him. So this is how he does it. Listen to this. He says, verse 8, Accordingly, so that's in accord with the godly life that you already lead, Accordingly, 
though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. He goes on to say, but for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. But what I want to point out here is, he says there, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. (laughs) I say, well, that's an interesting choice of words, Paul. You know, I'm not going to command you to do this thing. It's it's really required of you. Uh, I'm going to appeal to you. I I love the way he does that. It reminds me of a time that Hallie and I uh, were at a couple uh, friends house a family's house and they have a bunch of kids and we're going to eat dinner with them and the mom's you know making dinner in the kitchen and stuff and uh, finally she says okay guys uh, dinner's ready and one of the kids one of the boys uh, just runs over to the kitchen you know all right I'm ready for food and so she fixes up a plate hands it to him and kind of teaching him a first will be last lesson you know she says here you go will you take this to your sister we take this plate he's ready to eat you know we take this to your sister and it was just you could see it on the kid's face with his body language ah oh, do i have to and this is what his mom said i'm really not asking you <laughs> i said will you take this to your sister i'm really not asking you to do it <laughs> you know we, we kind of do this it's a common thing to do with children honestly will you do this no okay well you need to do it you know <laughs> and that's kind of what paul's doing here I could command you to do it, and it really is required of you as a Christian to do this forgiveness, but I'm going to appeal to you instead. And we saw from verses uh, 4 through 7 here that, that Paul really does believe in the heart of Philemon, that God has changed it, has transformed it, and that he will follow through with this forgiveness. So he feels, for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you. But the point that I'm making here is, It is required of Philemon. How would Philemon know that? You know, how would Philemon know? He says, what's required? What what do you mean, you know, this forgiveness is required? Well, you might remember, I I mentioned this last week, but Philemon, the book of Philemon, the letter of Philemon, did not come alone, okay? The book of Colossians that we just finished studying was carried along with it. Tychicus and Philemon were two men, and they carried both letters, the letter to Colossae, and the letter to Philemon at the same time. And so what we need to think about is, so what did Philemon know about forgiveness from the letter to the Colossian church, which he was a part of, that met in his house? We see that in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. You're welcome to turn there if you want, just don't lose your place, you know. Um, Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, listen to this, so you also must forgive. It doesn't say there, you know, put on humility, kindness, and if you feel like forgiving, if it wasn't, if you weren't hurt that bad, if, you know, it's convenient for you, that's not what it says forgiving one another as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive so philemon would have been well aware of his his duty here this this requirement that he was given he would know i am supposed to forgive my my new christian brother onesimus this runaway slave that's returned i want to say something here just before i i go any further 
I want you to remember, anytime we use the word requirement, and that requirement comes from God, it's a good thing for you. It is for your joy, it is for your good, but it's also for his glory. That's just an aside, (laughs) but it really is. Anything that God requires of you is for your joy, for your good. But that really doesn't get us too far in what forgiveness is, does it? (laughs) To say that you're commanded to do something that you don't know what it is isn't all that helpful. So I want to give you a, a helpful principle here for how you can know what forgiveness is, okay? This is in your notes, and you, you can circle it ten times. Forgiveness is defined by God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness of others is defined by God's forgiveness of us. And you say, well, where do you get that? Is, does he just, is he just an easy person to look at? No, look at it again in Colossians, if you have it, or I'll just read it. It said in verse 13, 313, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as, or in the same way, the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also, in the same way as he has done it, you must also forgive. Do you see that there? We, we, we don't just get to make up what forgiveness is. We don't just get to do the kind of forgiveness, the definition of forgiveness that is easiest for us. We look to God, his forgiveness, and we say, that is what forgiveness is. That is what I am required to do by God. That is what will lead to my joy. Now, I see that there, but is that anywhere else? <laughs> Ephesians 4.32, there, there are several other places, but it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We see that same principle. It, it is tempting sometimes to uh, listen to, to the pop psychology, you know, the, 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 the guy on Oprah that has some new insight into forgiveness. That's cool, but that doesn't mean that that's what forgiveness is. God, listen to this, God is the author of the universe. He's the author of your salvation. He's the author of your life. He gets to decide what forgiveness is. We don't get to define it in just any way. God says, or God acts, God does something and says that was forgiveness. That becomes the definition for what forgiveness is. Does that make sense? And so it is um, our duty to define forgiveness the way God has enacted forgiveness on our part. And if you remember nothing else that I say, just remember that. Because really, the the rest of these principles that I'm going to give you, the next three principles, are based on the fact that, that, okay, here's how God forgives. Okay, I see that. Now, how how does that look in our lives? That's really all I'm going to do, and you could do that on your own. But we'll work through Philemon and see how these things uh, work themselves out. So, with that understanding— Forgiveness is a requirement. It is defined by God, his forgiveness. Now we can look at these principles, how God has forgiven us, and how Paul is now asking Philemon to forgive. See uh, number two in your notes there? Here's our our first principle that we'll see. Forgiveness is conditional. Forgiveness is conditional. Work with me here for a minute. That may, may sound strange to some of you. Specifically, when I say forgiveness is conditional, I mean... Forgiveness is conditional on the offended giving forgiveness, offering forgiveness, rather. And it is conditional on the offender, the person who sinned, receiving that forgiveness with repentance. 
okay? We, we like to think of forgiveness as being unconditional, but that's just not actually in the Bible. It is not by works, but it is absolutely by repentance that we're forgiven. Uh, think about it again. We've got to look at God's example of forgiveness for, to define our forgiveness, okay? Let me ask you a question. Is everyone forgiven by God, or does God only offer forgiveness to everyone? Is everyone forgiven by God, or does God only offer forgiveness to everyone? I'll ask this question another way. Will everyone be in heaven? <laughs> no. Uh, my, my mansion's not going to be next to Hitler's. It's just not the way it's going to work out. Uh, those who did not repent to Jesus, trust in him, will not have eternal life. Let me just use some really easy verses for you to show this. Again, I, I just— I know that these can be shocking, so I want to show you from the Bible, John three sixteen through 18. We know these verses. Uh, so listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now how does that verse end? Does it say so that everyone can have eternal life? It doesn't. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a condition right there. Verse 17 and 18, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God's forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, is offered to the entire world. Here it is. Here is the payment for your forgiveness. Here it is. Here's this gift wrapped for you, but it has to be received by repentance and faith. It, it is not just applied to us. There's a name for that, by the way, the belief that it is just applied to us. It's called universalism, okay? There, there, there is the, the universalism uh, like church out there. It's sort of this love wins idea that, that God's love just saves us without us ever trusting in Christ Jesus. But that's just not the way it is. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let me give you another example, and then we'll move on. 1 John 1, 9, another very common verse. I wanted to use common verses. If we confess our sins, that's, that's repentance, turn, you know, confessing, you're turning from it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, there are so many more examples, you know, and I have them in my notes and I get rid of them, uh, but they would all show you that God's forgiveness is offered freely, unconditionally, but it is conditionally applied. It is conditionally given. Why does that matter? I just, why, why does it matter that God's uh, forgiveness is uh, conditional. Well, I think that if, if, if we say that God's forgiveness is not conditional, it really cheapens true forgiveness. It really cheapens it. It, it puts everyone on an even playing field. Again, you know, uh, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Are they? Th this guy might have trusted in Jesus, repenting, you know, he's, he's walking with him. This guy might be in complete rebellion against God, and we say, you're, you're both forgiven. Uh, that's just not the way it works. It's, it cheapens true forgiveness. This man has forgiveness. This man has a gift of forgiveness offered him, yet he has yet to receive it. I don't know how many people I've been evangelizing 
and, you know, I'm talking to them, and they say, oh, no, well, I, you know, I'm a pretty bad guy. I don't do anything. But thankfully, God, God's a forgiving God. Thank you, thankfully, God's forgiven me. Well, have you trusted in Jesus? No, but God's forgiving. Like, even, you know, I mean, seriously, I've had that conversation so many times. That is horrific. That is terrifying that people believe they have forgiveness without having to receive it by, by repentance and faith. And so for us, we need to be careful that we are defining forgiveness correctly and even offering and giving forgiveness correctly. So we'll look at Philemon now, verses 9 through 11, and we'll see if Paul is following this definition of forgiveness. He, he said, uh, I could command you to do what's required, verse 9, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Listen to this. This is the key. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. What Paul doesn't say there is, hey, hey, Onesimus, your runaway slave, like he's out there somewhere. Can't you just let bygones be bygones, Philemon? Don't, don't just be, you know, uh, angry at him or bitter at him. Like you just need to let it go, you know. You just need to forgive him. Give him forgiveness. That's, that's not the way it works. Right here, we have Philemon ha has gone back to Onesimus. Again, a 1,200-mile journey to, to stand in front of his master who he's run away from. That sure sounds like humble repentance to me. Here I am. And Paul is saying, I, I sent him back. I, he, he, he's, we've talked about it, and, and he, we've decided he's going back. Onesimus was clearly repentant. And so the only reason Paul can make this appeal to Philemon, hey, you need to, to, to forgive him, is because Onesimus was repentant. Philemon was able to give this forgiveness because Onesimus was repentant. Now, again, forgiveness is always offered. That's actually the next sub-point in, in your notes. This, this conditionality it was two parts— Forgiveness is always offered. Forgiveness is always offered. That means if you're the person who's been sinned against, like Philemon in this story, you are to always unconditionally offer forgiveness. To, yeah. We see in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go, that's an action, do something, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now you're to go and confront him, but there's this thing there that says, if he listens to you. To me, that if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. That sure sounds like the brother who's been sinned against is saying, look, man, I, I, I know we're all dealing with sin, but I, I need you to know about this offense, you know? <laughs> and and he, you kind of get this idea of he's reasoning with the offender, pleading with him even, turn, turn from this sin, man, repent from this sin that you, you've done against me. I want to forgive you. I want to give this to you. I want to gain my brother. Forgiveness is always offered. That is the responsibility of a Christian who has been sinned against. Now, I should mention something here. Uh, I can't go too far into it, but there are times, okay, there are times that you shouldn't go to someone and offer forgiveness. <laughs> um, and what, the, this, what I mean by that is, 
Sometimes we should just bear with people. We saw that in Colossians, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. There, there's an idea that sometimes people, you know, just out of a, a moral lapse at the moment, you know, they, they slip up and they sin against us, right? Or they, they do these, these little things, and if you're able to just let that go, these, these little sins, then do it. Bear with them. We don't need to be nitpicking and, and, you know, pestering each other to death. Think about it. If every time you were sinned, someone confronted you, uh, every time you sinned, um, it would be a really hard thing. It would be hard to grow in that, and you'd feel very defeated. But let me say this. Here's, here's the, the test, kind of, for when you should. If it is a pattern in the person's life, this wasn't just a momentary slip-up, and they, they you know, sent, got kind of angry at you and said some unkind word. If it is a pattern in their life, if it is hurting you or hurting other people, or if it is even dividing and hurting your relationship, then you should go to them and offer this forgiveness. It's, it's time at that point. If you see this is a pattern in their life, they're walking in sin, it, it's actually your duty as a Christian to hold them accountable. Even if you're able to deal with the sin, you want to hold them accountable for that sin. But we, we have these patterns. If they're hurting others, hurting you, they're, they're hurting your relationship, that's when you talk to them. That doesn't mean we, we have to, every little thing that happens, I didn't like it that she did that. We don't have to call them out. So I just want to say that. We always offer forgiveness um, in those, those times. But the second principle that we see, and this is really Onesimus in the story, he models it well. Forgiveness should be always sought. It's always sought. We're always seeking this forgiveness when we are the sinner, when we sin against someone else. We see this in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. It says there, if you are offering your gift at the altar, okay, that would be like equivalent to if you're, you're going to worship at church, you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, so you've sinned against them in some way, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So you're getting ready for church in the morning, you know, you're feeling good, and you, you know, all these things, you're, and God brings to your attention someone that you have uh, offended in the past. He, he reminds you, the Spirit reminds you. And what he's saying in that verse is, you know, before you, you, you come to worship me and, and act like everything's okay, you really need to go make things right with your brother or your sister. Uh, you, you need to make things right with this person you have offended. Remember what the, the greatest command is? Jesus says that the greatest command is to love the Lord your God, right? And the second greatest is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. We cannot say that we love God while we're sinning against our brother or our sister it doesn't work. We are always seeking uh, forgiveness. So there are these two responsibilities, these two things that make forgiveness conditional. Are you always offering forgiveness? And are you always seeking forgiveness with a repentant heart? I, I, I wish I hadn't done this. I, I'm sorry I did that. I, I'll do my best by God's grace not to do it again. That's repentance. I'm turning from it. It's conditional on those things. So it's a requirement forgiveness is. It's conditional. What else? How, how else? Once, once those things have happened, you know, we've offered forgiveness, we've sought forgiveness, and the other has, has said, okay, yes, then what? Number three, 
Forgiveness is gracious. Forgiveness is gracious. So what do I mean when I say forgiveness is gracious? Well, again, we need to use this principle, this really big principle, that, God, that forgiveness is defined by God's forgiveness. So how was God's forgiveness gracious? Man, where do we start <laughs> on where God's forgiveness was gracious? The first thing that jumps out to me about God's forgiveness of me and of you, if you've trusted in him, is it was incredibly costly. He freely gave it, right? Graciously gave it. But it was incredibly costly to him. You think about it. First uh, Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ Jesus, God, the Son of God, God the Son suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So we have offended the God of the universe, and yet the God of the universe said, in order to bring you back to me, I'm going to pay the price. It will cost me something to give you this forgiveness. And he did that on the cross. The condemnation, the wrath that I deserve was poured out on Jesus so that this offer of forgiveness could be there that I could receive by repentance and faith. Forgiveness is costly. Okay? Think about that in your life. Sometimes we say, I would forgive them, but you missed it. Forgiveness is costly. There is no but. All right. Next, we look at God's forgiveness. What else does it do? Forgiveness, God's forgiveness, benefits the offender. It costs God something, the life of his son, the punishment of his son, and it benefits the offender. Undeserved offender, right? Ill-deserved is another word that, that theologians will use. It is, not only do I not deserve this gift from God, I actually have done things to make myself unworthy of that gift. I have done things against that gift being given to me. But yet it has benefited me, the offender. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. I have offended God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God does not just wipe your slate clean. He lavishes grace on you with forgiveness. He lavishes love and strength and hope and peace on you. God's forgiveness is costly. God's forgiveness benefits the offender. You think about that. When we're forgiving people, we say, you know, they really don't deserve me doing this nice thing for them. They I know. This, this is Christian forgiveness. I realize that this is not the world's version, the TV version of forgiveness. This is God's version of forgiveness that it costs and it benefits. It costs the, the giver and benefits the offender. Now, there's one more thing. I, I just want to say this. Sometimes sins, you say, man, there has to be consequences. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. You think about God's forgiveness of us. It is gracious, but it has not wiped away all consequences. Okay? There are still consequences for sin. Are you living in a broken world with me? <laughs> do you feel pains? Do, you know, do you have troubles and trials? Yeah, me too. But guess what? With God's forgiveness, even the consequences that remain are for our good. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. 
that this produces this endurance and this hope in you. These trials that we go through actually draw us closer to God. These consequences from our sins that God just allows to, to still happen actually draw us closer to God. Consequences, uh, it doesn't mean that because we've forgiven someone that there can be no consequences. It means that we've taken away that, that condemnation, that, that moral judgment. We're, we're covering over that sin, but there, there still may be consequences for it. You can still send someone to jail and forgive them. I fully believe that. So, let's see if Paul is following God's definition of forgiveness in Philemon. Let's see here. It says in verses 13 and 14, he said, I would have been glad to keep him, that's Onesimus, with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Did you notice something there at the end of verse uh, 13? It says, I'd have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. And Paul never says, I don't actually want that to happen. (laughs) He only says there, but, verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I think, personally, by the way this verse is is written and worded, I think Paul still wants Onesimus to be leveraged for the gospel and maybe even sent back to Paul to serve him there in Rome while he's in prison. Uh, It's just kind of what he's he's hinting at it. He's not telling him to do it, uh, but he's saying, I would have had him do this, and I think that you would have even been okay with him serving me in your place, but I didn't want to do it without um, asking, and so here he is. uh, Do with him what you will. Paul has made forgiveness a bit costly for Onesimus, hasn't he? You're going to lose your slave. You already lost him once. Now he's returned. You know, you've uh, got him. This is a a monetary thing, you think about it. And he's saying, but it'd be great if you, you know, gave him back up. That that part of this forgiveness was that you uh, um, allowed him to to do this uh, serving for the gospel. In addition, you think about it, we said uh, that God's forgiveness benefits the offender. (laughs) Philemon would be like, you know, why why would I let him go back to you, Paul? Why would I let him get to do what he wants to do with his life? That'd be very easy in this situation. He ran away from me. He stole from me. I'm not going to let him go do do what he wants to do. But yet, Paul, that's what he's asking. Let let him come back and serve me. Let him him work in, in the gospel. He can still even be your slave but just let them go do these things. Send them. Send them to do these things. It would benefit Onesimus, but it, and it would cost Philemon. And not all consequences were removed for Onesimus' offense. Not all consequences. Onesimus, again, had an incredibly hard journey because he had to seek this forgiveness from Rome to Colossae, an incredibly hard journey. Then he had to stand there in front of Philemon, in front of the whole church, and say, I messed up. I ran away. I should not have uh, run away from my master. Those are consequences uh, for his offense. And Onesimus was still going to make, uh, I can't think of the word right now. He was still going to pay back Philemon. Restitution, I think. He was still going to make restitution. He was going to pay back Philemon for anything he'd stolen. 
and even the money that Philemon would have lost because the slave was gone. But there was a problem. You say, well, where is that that he was going to repay? There's, <laughs> there's a problem with Onesimus paying. It was a debt that he can't pay. Onesimus was a slave, right? He's a, a poor runaway slave. Those aren't exactly high credentials to be making a lot of money. Onesimus wouldn't have had the money to pay back Philemon. And so we see in verses 18 through 21, Paul says this, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. There's still this consequence. There's still this payment that needs to be made. There's still this restitution. But Paul's going to pay it even for Onesimus. This is kind of amazing. I realize that it's not coming out of Onesimus's pocket, that there's this debt that he can't pay, yet someone else is going to pay it. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Does that sound maybe like a debt you and I owe that we could never repay, that someone else says, I'll repay it. Here's my signature, my blood. I'll write it in my blood. I will pay his debt. That's exactly what Paul's doing here. He says, verse 20, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21, I love this. Confident of your obedience, again to this requirement, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. I don't even know what even more is than it being costly for Philemon, benefiting Onesimus, the offender. What's, I don't know, like pack him a sack lunch for his trip back to Rome. I don't know what this more is that Paul's talking about, but that's grace, guys. That's Paul, or sorry, Onesimus, sorry, Philemon, there we go. There's only three people I can, <laughs> third time's the charm. Philemon is being called to pour out additional grace on this offender. I, I think that's incredible. But again, we compare that to God's forgiveness, and it makes complete sense. Grace upon grace. That's what God gives. That's what his forgiveness looks like. So, forgiveness is a requirement. It's defined by, by God's forgiveness. It's conditional upon the, the repentance of the offender. Onesimus is doing that here. And it's gracious towards the offender. And I would say many people stop right there. Okay, I've, I've forgiven them. We're good to go. But God goes a little further, and he calls Christians to go further. Number four, forgiveness rebuilds. Forgiveness rebuilds. It rebuilds relationships, and it rebuilds people even. Think about this. God, who shows us what forgiveness is, does not forgive without reconciling. He, he doesn't forgive anyone without also reconciling to himself. There is no Christian who could say, I'm forgiven, but me and God, we don't have a good relationship. He still hates me. You know, he, he doesn't want to have a relationship with me. There's, there's no Christian, no, no forgiven person that can say that. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians uh, 17 through 19. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
through Christ, reconciled us to himself. He, he forgave us. He didn't count our trespasses against us, and he reconciled us to himself. This is a, a beautiful thing. Now, I realize God has a little bit of an advantage on this. He changes our hearts. <laughs> but I would even say, me and God, yes, God forgave me. Yes, God reconciled me. But my relationship with God has not been perfect since I've been a Christian. It has still been a process. It's still been a work. It has still been a rebuilding, a building up of a person, namely me, and building up of this relationship. That is inherent. It is tied to God's forgiveness, this rebuilding, this reconciliation. And so I would say we can't uh, claim to have forgiven someone without also seeking to be reconciled to that person. That, that would only be a partial forgiveness, one that God does not do, and so it's really not forgiveness at all. Let's look again at Philemon, verses 15 through 17. It says there, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that, he, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. There's so much in that verse. I hope my voice emphasized <laughs> what I wanted you to see. You're receiving him back as a bondservant, yes. Okay, so there's this forgiveness, you know, things are okay. But as more than a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. Not just even a brother, not just a fellow Christian, as a beloved brother. He says, uh, we see there, especially to me, so he's a beloved brother to Paul, but how much more to you? I, Paul, have a good relationship with uh, Onesimus, but I think you, Philemon, are going to have an even better relationship with him. You're going to be his, his master and his brother in Christ. You guys are going to, you know, do this mission. You're going to serve God together, and in whatever that way that looks like, there's going to be this reconciliation. There's going to be this rebuilding of the relationship. That's what Paul is calling Philemon to do. Don't, don't just tolerate Onesimus. Don't just coexist with him. Rebuild that relationship. Reconcile. Make it stronger than it ever was before. That is forgiveness. That follows God's model. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of peace will be with you. There were a lot of things going on in the Corinthian church, uh, like sexual immorality, but there were also divisions. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow—you know, like there, there were these different uh, divisions, and he's saying, aim for restoration. You guys are tearing the church apart with your, your bickering, your quarreling, your unforgiveness, your, your lack of re uh, reconciliation and restoration. He says there, aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. That's amazing. It's an amazing promise. That we not only follow God's model, but when we do, it will actually bring this love and peace from God into our lives. I love this. Our forgiveness should, should pave the way. I realize reconciliation isn't immediate. It should pave the way and be the springboard towards reconciliation and rebuilding relationships. 
That's, that's often the hardest part of forgiveness, I would say, is, uh, you know, we, we say we've forgiven this, but forgiven them, but it's like, ah, I just don't know. I, you know, depending on how they sinned against us and who it was, we just almost don't want to be right with them. That would almost feel like we're rewarding them. Forgiveness is gracious. It costs you. It benefits them. This is what it is to be a Christian. Now, I'm, I'm saying something here. This forgiveness, God's forgiveness, that, that includes this grace, that includes this, this rebuilding, is radical. It is a radical forgiveness, but it is common for Christians. This is what you're called to do. This is what is required of you. Does that make sense? I realize this is crazy, but that's what the gospel does to us. <laughs> it has us do crazy things. It says, you know what? I will take the cost for the sin you did against me. You know what? I will give to you so it will benefit you. I will rebuild the relationship with you even though I really don't want to. This is radical forgiveness in the, the world's eyes and even in my eyes as I think about it, but it really should be what the Christian is as we're filled with God's love and God's peace. I wanted to just, just for a moment, what does this reconciliation take? What does this reconciliation take? I just wrote down some thoughts I had. Reconciliation, rebuilding relationships, takes deliberate efforts at showing the, the offender they are forgiven. Deliberate efforts at showing them they are forgiven. I, I think I've already told you guys this story, but there have been times that I have, as a Christian, have still sinned against God. I have um, gone to God's word almost hoping that it would beat me, you know, punish me for my sin, and then I read about God's love and God's grace. Like, I just, you know, open it, and there it is. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us <laughs> alive together with Christ. I'm just like, man, you've forgiven me. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can do the same thing. Be deliberate at showing them they are forgiven. It takes intentional displays of love as you look for their best interests. Philippians 2, uh, I, I don't want to go there, but it talks about looking out for the interests of others. Not just your interests, for the interests of others. And that's even those who have offended you, sinned against you, repented, and now you've forgiven them. Look out for their interests. Intentional displays of love. This doesn't mean you have to become their best friend. It doesn't mean you have to like all the same things they like, have all the same interests. It, do, it doesn't mean that, but it means you're showing them love. You're looking out for their best interests, and that rebuilds. That's the model God gives us. That's what he requires of us. This, this forgiveness that is freely offered and then freely given when the, the other receives it. It's gracious. It costs you something. It benefits the other. And it rebuilds. It seeks to rebuild. This is more than just a, a fun little text, more than just neat theology. This is life. This is what God has called us to do for his glory, the strength of his church. Your marriage will suffer if you don't get this. Your relationships with friends and co-workers will suffer if you don't get this. The way that we image forth God's forgiveness to the world will suffer if we don't get this. Your joy will suffer if you don't get this responsibility. It's a requirement. It's conditional. You offer it. They receive it. 
it's gracious and it rebuilds as we come to the communion table here at the end this this table is to be taken by those who have received this forgiveness and reconciliation from god and it is for those who are walking in accordance with god's requirements so if that's not you i'd ask that you let the plate pass when it comes but i want us to be thinking and 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 I've been doing this this week as I've been preparing this. Is there someone in your life that God's been bringing to your mind, maybe, that that you haven't forgiven? You know, you might have said you're forgiven, but now that you hear the definition of forgiveness, you say, maybe I haven't. Maybe, Maybe I haven't given them full forgiveness. Ask God for the grace to do that. Ask God for the grace to give, actively give. Forgiveness is more than a feeling, by the way. Uh, I meant to throw that in there earlier. You don't just feel like you've forgiven someone. That's not grace. That's not a gift. They didn't receive anything if it's just a feeling. You, you give forgiveness to another person. You show it to them. Maybe that's what you need to do. And, and maybe it wasn't some big sin. Maybe it's just a bunch of little things that they do, you know, and, and you need to forgive them. You need to be unified with them. Maybe you just haven't reconciled with them, and you say, I haven't been pursuing this the way God has been pursuing this, this full uh, reconciliation with me. Maybe you're on the other end. <laughs> Maybe you have sinned against someone and you realize, I need to go to them. I need to go to them and, and ask for forgiveness. I need to show them my repentant heart. I already feel bad about it. Why, why can't I just humble myself and go to them and ask for repentance? Or, uh, sorry, ask for forgiveness. And it may be today that, that as you see these things, you say, I can't do that. I won't do that. To you, I would say, if you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Because it shows you do not have the Spirit of God in you. And I would say the wrath of God is still on you if you are unwilling to forgive. And I would call you to receive God's forgiveness. Receive His amazing, gracious, costly gift. And you'll receive the power to forgive. Trust in what Jesus has done. Turn from your sin and your rebellion from God and trust in Jesus. And you'll get this power to forgive. We'll be praying about these, these things as we pass out the communion plates, but I'll pray before we, we do that.